Welcome to the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. I'm Armand Alawalia. And I am trusty sidekick Will Item. Our second episode, Will. Our second episode. Can you believe that? We made it to number two. I cannot believe it. Uh, my mom said I would never amount to anything, but look at me now, mom. I got to two episodes. Two episodes. And, and not only that, we're in 12 countries, Will. One of those countries happens to be the hotbed for Sports Business Strategy Podcasts. Of course, the large nation of St. Lucia. I'm sure you're very familiar, Will. The land, the people, the light. The motto of St. Lucia and the motto of the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. Uh, we are forever a fan of you, St. Lucia, both your country and also your band, which I listened to all the time when I lived in Austin, Texas. So Godspeed, St. Lucia. Taking, uh, taking advertisements from the uh, St. Lucia Tourism Board for the next episodes here on the Sports Business Strategy Pod. Well, now that we've done our obligatory one minute on St. Lucia, sponsorship money, please. Armand, what can you say about uh, today's episode? So we have, as we promised in last episode, Ryan Bashara, the very recent Executive Vice President and Revenue and Strategy. We're really excited to hear about him uh, and some of the great things that he's doing at LAFC. So really, really interesting. Make sure you stick around for that. Well worth the wait. Yes, very excited for the interview with Ryan. But before we do that, I guess we need a segment. Yes, I think one of the things that we received is feedback. So one bit of feedback we got from Ian Burley from Revolution was, would love to see you guys chop it up about some of the most interesting partnerships initiatives that you have noticed recently or discuss the latest news that happened over the last couple of weeks between shows. So Will, we need a segment where I guess we talk about partnerships or initiatives that we've noticed recently. Do you have anything in mind? In fact, I do, Armand. And we are going to be calling this new segment, What's Going On? What's going on? Okay, you're actually going to go ahead and play that in there. I'll play along. Will, what's going on? Glad you asked, Armand. So what's going on is the New Orleans Pelicans just signed a New Jersey patch partner with Ibotta, uh, an e-commerce company that I am honestly still learning about. I had not heard about them until the partnership was announced, which I guess means uh, it's a successful partnership then uh, when it comes to brand awareness. So uh, that is certainly a benefit. This becomes now the fourth New Jersey patch partner in the NBA since we started up the pilot program way back in 2016, early 2017. Uh, we've got the Pelicans who have Ibotta. Celtics just recently announced that they switched from GE over to Vistaprint. Dallas was one of the first ones to switch over from Five Miles to Chime. And also the LA Clippers recently uh, switched over from Bumble to Honey. So the thing that I'm noticing at least uh, you know, when we first did partnerships of the 30 teams, 20 or about two thirds of all the partnerships were locally headquartered companies. And what I'm noticing now is of these new partnerships, only Honey is a local company. Chime, based in San Francisco, Ibotta, it's in Denver, and Vistaprint is a Dutch conglomerate. So is this going to be a trend with the other half dozen or so patch announcements that are rumored to happen in the next year, where we see more brands that aren't local, um, and if we can get a little bit more specific, are young digital e-commerce or e-commerce adjacent companies 
where the biggest value they're getting out of the patch deal is going to be awareness and the potential to grow in the consumer's minds for consideration. Yeah, I think I, th- I think you bring up a lot of interesting points, right? I think if you look at traditional naming rights deals, almost 70% of them are within 50 miles of the stadium to headquarters, or at least that was in the last couple of years. It may have shifted just a little bit, but a lot of times it's those hometown plays that have a lot of pull and a lot of um, impact on the local um, rep, on, on the local employees and everything that's going on there. What's also interesting is that from an e-commerce perspective, you go, you are wherever the customer wants to be, right? As long as there's an internet service or you know, 5G or 4G available on their phone, they can be anywhere. So I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be a regional play that I'm assuming some of these companies are looking at the Jersey patch as a national branding campaign, not, for example, a New Orleans or a Boston or a Dallas. It's a national play, which I think is probably why you're correct in the sense that we're probably going to start to see more of these national deals given the framework has been done, right? A lot of these smaller companies have probably seen the proof in the pudding in terms of the brand awareness and exposure. Some of the other objectives probably are some of the backend stuff that we don't necessarily see on the jersey itself. But I think that's probably going to start to shift the, 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 the rhetoric that way. You're absolutely right. And again, it boils down to the goals and objectives and also the other assets that are packaged together in the Jersey patch deal as well, too. If you are a local company who is looking for national reach, you're certainly going to have a lot of brand awareness assets that are built in, but you're also going to have a lot of hospitality that you can do on a local level. If you're one of these e-commerce companies who's not based in the city that the team plays, you're certainly going for brand awareness, but also you're going to probably be having assets that have to do with a lot of data collection, whether it's Honey, who's setting up a format already where you can buy Clippers jerseys by putting in a code to get 15% off. That is a data capture play. And that's what's going to be important for an e-commerce company that doesn't necessarily have roots in the city that they are working in. Exactly. And I think even if you look at the GE deal, my understanding was that GE signed the patch with the Celtics because they were going to move to Boston as a large part. I wasn't sure if there was their headquarters, but a large part of their business was going to be moved to Boston. That never happened. So while the deal wasn't structured around the Jersey patch, there were some other synergies on the back end, I'm sure. You know, that's something that's changed where this is going to be part of the, the environment where companies' objectives will change. Therefore, their assets are going to change as well as part of the deal. So Again, I think this is a really exciting space, and I think we're just on the cusp of potentially, and again, your perspective is probably one more that is a little better than mine from the outside, is that I think a lot more deals are going to start to change in the next you know, 12 to 18 months, given the current economy and, and the current state of the NBA. I can say that if I were talking about a, a future guest that I would love for us to have is going to be someone from Vistaprint's sponsorship team as well, too, because I think what's really interesting about theirs is they mm-hmm. have presented this partnership as a big play on small businesses. Uh, They're certainly going to use the Celtics brand name to connect with all the businesses in the area where Vistaprint is based there in Massachusetts. At the same time, they're also going to get a benefit from that national brand awareness play. Uh, The very first business cards I ever bought were from Vistaprint. So they're going to be acting locally, right? You know, I always got those 500 pack for like 1995. I, passed out like five of them and then i lost the rest of the box 995 on sale yep you mentioned exactly 15 go down and then the rest are just in the box 
Exactly. So it's going to be very fun to see how Vista Parent activates on that local level, but still uses the benefits of a Jersey Patch sponsorship to increase their reach throughout the rest of the U.S. So, you know, these are just the first couple of uh, Jersey Patch partnerships that have been rolled out. Uh, a lot of teams are coming up on their three-year uh, expiration date of their first deals. Some mm-hmm. things have already renewed. Uh, shout out to the friends over at Cronky Sports in Denver for renewing with Western Union. Um, excited to see a couple of other new renewals coming down the pike and also to see some some new uh, faces on those jersey patches in the upcoming season. And with that, uh, this is our first edition of What's Going On? What's going on? If you like that new segment, please let us know. Uh, if you didn't like it, uh, you know, cut us some slack. We're trying stuff out. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to head into our interview with Ryan Bashara. So enjoy. All right. We are joined here today by a very special guest. Uh, we are joined by a one, the one, the only uh Ryan Bashara, who is the Senior Vice President of Business and Data Strategy at LAFC. Ryan, thank you for joining Will and I today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and uh, excited to contribute and help however I can. We appreciate you coming on. The first thing that we usually start off with on our podcast is kind of to get a quick kind of background about where you are and how you got to where you are today. So if you want to start off and give us a quick background, that would be awesome. Yeah, of course. Uh, my pleasure. So. I've wanted to work in sports since freshman year of college at UCLA. Um, At that point, I really transitioned from thinking about just a career in mathematics at some point and into one that was focused on growing and building a career with the business or the sports side of the industry. And as a part of that, really started doing internships throughout my college career, eventually found an opportunity to go work for the Pistons out of out of school after actually switching to communications as my major. And then from there and working for the Pistons for four and a half years in a variety of roles from really a strategic project manager all the way to partnership marketing and also data strategy and analytics for the revenue functions. I eventually found the role with LAFC to come start and help build the club from an analytical standpoint for the revenue functions in a similar capacity and also you know come home at the same time and after being now with LAFC for 5 years have you know really been able to see the start and growth of the organization when I was the 15th employee to join the organization all the way through creating my own department which was really fun with business and data strategy uh, building a team and having you know, define roles and responsibilities for everyone, and then eventually carrying it on to um, you know, just contribute interdepartmentally as much as possible, which we're always just you know, striving to do even more and, and be even better at. Well, thank thank you for kind of walking us through that. And I think, you know, in in your effort to be to be modest there, I think you kind of, not necessarily rushed over, but I think you, uh, if you're able to kind of maybe go a little bit more into detail about you know, one of the questions I have is, you know, you, you mentioned you got to LAFC as the 15th employee, which 
for an MLS team, you know, that's obviously, you know, starting up and LAFC has grown into so much now. Talk about how your strategy has kind of developed into your role today, right? Was it something that, you know, when you were at UCLA, you started to develop kind of what this might look like, or maybe it was at Detroit or when you got to LA, you said, okay, this is kind of how I want and envision this department growing. Yeah, definitely. So really when I was in college, I at first thought, you know, I wanted to work on the sports side, the player side, and that was always my aspiration. So I was striving to work in basketball operations, actually, and really spent all my time networking with people that were scouts, general managers, um, Sam Presti, in fact. Um, so he was actually one of the first people I talked to that was in a senior role, and I learned so much from him and um, could go into that. But Needless to say, I learned so much about the different functions that were outside of just the basketball side. I worked for UCLA men's basketball. That was a ton of fun and really got that inside experience into what how players think and work and all the nuances of being in that role. But over time, I realized that there were also so many opportunities on the business side that I didn't quite know yet how I would be pursuing a career there. And that was where in Detroit, where I got to see how we reorganized an entire organization that really had uh, had had potential to grow in various different department structures. One of them was data and analytics, which at that point didn't exist formally, and peripherally got to watch and support the growth of that function as I was embedded in revenue, which was really cool because I got to see the inside track of how the sales team thought, the partnership marketing team thought, how ticketing teams thought and how their day-to-days were impacted by the, the really accelerated tools and analytics that would make them smarter, faster, better, and also uh, in, improve revenue growth. So all of those things is what I, I got to really see in Detroit and gave me a sense of when coming to LAFC, a blueprint that I got to learn from you know, our president in Detroit and all the people that we worked with in all the different departments over the course of those four and a half years, how the function could be structured to maximize the interdepartmental support for all the areas that are not just revenue drivers, but business drivers, things like the way that we would focus on database growth and social media engagement growth and the tactics involved with email marketing strategy and how that also supports and drives not just ticket sales, but also a strong base of knowledge that helps partners for the partnership marketing side or partnership sales side really have the best foot forward in terms of how a brand can interact with them and understand the nuances of demographics and insights for customers that then make their uh, partnerships meaningful. So the, the combination of all those things were developed in different you know moments of experience by managing clients myself, getting to see the tools built out of CRM straight into the reps using them, getting feedback, and then watching the process uh, unfold over time uh, with repeated uh, experience. So really fun, and that's really what's helped build the, the vision for what LAFC has today in terms of our structure, process, and collaboration with other departments across the organization. I, I appreciate the the way that you think about it and how you've kind of used those experiences throughout your networking, kind of building up this information to kind of help you set up yourself for 
your time right now in, at LAFC and you've been very successful there. So help us walk through the structure of how your team is set up and how you felt that was the best structure. You know, teams sometimes are set up with one function and they are finance-based or they're ticketing-based, but it seems like you've had the holistic view of the organization as almost an internal agency. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, that's definitely true. And the reason for that is because all of the, the tools that we have or the insights that we derive and the, the resources in terms of people, not just softwares that we use or information that we have, really shouldn't be, it should be democratized for all the different departments. And the hardest part, usually for many organizations, especially when it's a new thing, is really valuing and understanding it. Like what it, what is, in our case, what does business and data strategy even mean? So much of it is just having the right uh, communication with people and relationships interdepartmentally to understand what we have at our disposal to use and then how it directly relates to their business, right? So it's one thing to work on building a dynamic pricing model that optimizes accretive revenue for ticketing, but it's yet another to think about how the data points and the data sources we have can also help finance in terms of forecasting or the partnership measurement we work that we do how that can help our social media engagement strategy and the way that we develop or decide what content makes sense for the social piece of our business. So all of those things, each conversation, each project, and each iteration of collaboration that we have with different departments and departmental leaders, even as those change over time, you're, you're basically gaining buy-in with each, pe each person to have them understand more about what we do, how it works, what the process is, and how we can contribute. And that, you know, we're here for everyone. We're an internal think tank. We support really everyone in making their jobs easier, faster, better, not to tell people what to do or how to do it, but just to prescribe things that may support them in some way. And so that is really the most important thing. Yeah, I love that idea of the internal think tank as kind of a way to think about your department and almost branding it internally as the go-to for additional help, for additional resources, uh, a new way of thinking about things. That's really, really great. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm curious when you say a think tank of the actual process of helping out the other departments, as every organization is different on how they want this process to work. Uh, at LAFC, is it more of a situation in which people are always coming to you? Are you going out to them and their own departments on one-on-one -on -one meetings? Where is it where the collaboration starts? It's actually transitioned quite a bit over time. And it's really important to note that because over a course of five years, things change, right? When, when I started, and it was literally just me and was focused mainly on partnerships, right? It, was, it started off with you build it how you want. You have the opportunity to, to basically decide all the inventory, pick all the pricing, uh, do, do different work with, um, with the CRM system and, and then the way that it works and functions and is developed over time. All of like, what is the vision for how a salesperson or a partnership marketing person will use the system, right? All of those things were, were basically open for me to decide. Then after that initial phase of development, then people started coming to me with, Oh, I want to adjust this. I want to change that. Or 
what if we did it this way or that way? And each of those different things in the process over time, whether it's the way they want to see a pipeline report differently, right? That iterated like seven or eight times before we get to the pipeline report that we actually use and manage to on a day-to-day basis today. And it's still evolving. It's constantly evolving because we always have different perspectives. And as our sales teams, partnership marketing teams, leadership get more fluent on how it looks, how our owners view it, all of those different things and the nuances of filters and hierarchies in the Tableau view and the way that they want to see things condensed at a high level and then more detailed and as you get more in depth, like all of that is over the experience of people seeing and working with the things we build. And that's where it gets fun because then it's it's not just a one-way conversation where at first we're just you know building something and saying how it should be. The fun really starts when you have the back and forth dialogue. And then on top of that, then it transitions to them coming to you, right? So at first, you know, sure, we built the ticket pricing in the stadium before we'd ever played one game. And you build the variable pricing, the scaling, and and think about how we're going to treat different tiers of games and all those things, which you know, most organizations do. And then eventually, after having a few games and you start to see trends, then they then the team is coming to us being like, well, what should we do with dynamic pricing? What should we do with uh, the way that we change our tiers in the future? And so going from example, for example, year one to having a few different tiers to now, basically every single game is a different tier in itself. And then it just is ebbing and flowing as demand is shifting. Right? All of that is because we have that healthy collaboration between ticketing leadership and business and data strategy on ways to be even more efficient and drive more creative revenue for our business. So all of that was you know, really exciting and fun. You mentioned a lot about collaboration and working together in different departments. And traditionally, the data people, the strategy people sometimes are somewhat not the best communicators. How have you kind of approached that internally with building that trust? Yeah, actually, it's a really good point. So I do want to reference basically the way that we've hired for our team and department. Uh, it's it's really important because it's a, it's it really speaks to exactly what you said, which is you have to be able to use both sides of your brain and you have to be able to relate to people in a meaningful way. That part is is super important. So, for example, every time we're whether it's someone who's going to be a, a part time employee for us or is going to be hired full time for a specific role or function with a specific skill set in mind, they all do an assignment or a test. And that assignment or test is is something like, here's an example of a, a very abstract and creative project. Like, here's a brand. Go do all the research you can on it and give me a bunch of ideas on how what we should pitch them if we were pitching the brand CMO tomorrow. And then you have another assignment that's like piggybacking on it, which is here's a bunch of sample data. You can do anything you want with it. Go analyze it. Right. And tell me what you think we should do with it, improve it, you know, leverage it for the specific business line that it relates to, et cetera. And so what happens with that assignment is that on one hand, you have very abstract, you know, work that you can take in really any direction you want. But on top of that, you get to see how people think. You get to see how people communicate because they have to articulate verbally and in writing how that actually would work. And that's really where you get to see communication styles which are so important for the actual work environment because we also leave it open where for the duration of the time they work doing that do that assignment, 
they have the ability to ask as many questions as they want as if it was a real working environment. So no, and no stupid questions. So you really get to see quick, A, are they comfortable asking questions? Are they comfortable being proactive? How in-depth in do they go? And Or, or if they just you know, are super sophisticated and know it all, how they take something from a one-page prompt all the way to completed assignment, very clearly articulated with visuals to complement or not. And then how do they take data, visualize it, and communicate it in ways that are easy for anyone to digest, not just someone who actually works with data on a day-to-day -day basis. That's kind of how we test everyone and really makes a difference because we then are able to find people that are well-rounded and versatile and really just a matter of their learning agility, which is probably my favorite trait is learning agility, is the ability to pick something up really quickly, no matter what it is, if it's learning SQL, learning Tableau, uh, learning you know, more advanced Excel, being able to demonstrate and show that over time shows that if you pick up how to use a Salesforce CRM system or modeling in R, all of those things can happen so long as the right traits are embedded in that person. And that's what we test and look for every time. Ryan, I, I think that's an incredible way to look at it. And I think that speaks to the way that you've kind of set up your team and your environment. Has there been pushback internally or is that something that has now become kind of a best practice in allowing people to show their creative prowess and learning agility, as you said, I'm going to probably going to take that word now moving forward. I'd be curious to see if that's now how that people, how the L, how LAFC looks at kind of approaching um, to find good people in, in that sense. Yeah. So we've used it a lot for our department uh, mainly, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's because we're finding people that don't necessarily have a specific defined role in the sense of you work for only one department, you have to work mm. for with or for all of them. And that's pretty unique, right? Overall, I definitely know that across the organization, the focus on specific skill traits and, you know, the intrinsic parts of your personality, those things we, we hire for specifically across our sales and partnership marketing teams, and even on our content teams. And, you know, whether it's doing something like a disk you know, uh, assessment that we do, we have done for the whole organization, mind you, and done full you know, training culture sessions on uh, all of those things have contributed to us understanding and be aware of our personalities, the way that they work with each other interdepartmentally so that that way people can at least have in the back of their minds what their personality is and how that relates to others. And so it's really important. And I learned you know, quickly kind of that after doing that, that our, our department has a lot of people that are similar and that they're, they kind of cross the line between two different letters on the disc thing. And what that does is it, it, it has the versatility component, but we're now even more eager to find kind of and almost challenge the personalities that we have in the group by having different ones. So that way it spurns more creative thought because if everybody has the same type of personality, then it essentially... Uh, the, you have the same kind of ideas every time you want more and different. And so that's why when we're doing brainstorming for partnerships, as an example, we like to bring together everyone from different departments, which I know a lot of organizations do too, but something so basic with all the different personalities blended, you get some, such a variety of thoughts. And I think facilitating that collaboration and hiring those different kinds of people has really enabled us to have that internal think tank, whether it's 
for our department only, or when we collaborate with other departments, having those kinds of design thinking sessions on a topic uh, or a challenge has been really, really helpful for uh, development and growth. All right, well, let's put the theory then to practice. One thing we always like to hear about is kind of a story of how, you know, from a partnership perspective, how strategy helped played a role, you know, especially when we're talking about cross-collaboration between departments. Certainly the salesperson is going to be evolved. Activation is going to jump in at some point. Um, always curious to see where strategy fit in from the beginning of the creation of building out a platform to working with other departments. Is there anything that comes to mind where you feel like this is why strategy exists? Yeah, you know, we had a a new opportunity, which the entire league did in selling the jersey sleeve for the first time as a new asset the league developed and was enabling clubs to monetize, right? And when when that just opportunity presents itself, you know, the, the challenge that sometimes happens is brands and agencies that are evaluating that asset have trouble trouble knowing what that's worth, right? And also what the what comes with it, what that package should look like, why they should take it, how it's going to compare to, say, the front of the jersey or a stadium naming rights partnership or any of the like. And so when we approached that, as soon as we knew it was a potential asset that we could sell, we immediately started tracking the right sleeve and the left sleeve of the jersey that was there, right? Because no matter of if it's the MLS logo or another logo, that logo is showing up in social content, digital content, uh, TV broadcast, you name it, right? All over the board. And by us starting to work with, in this case, Wasserman and, you know, and Hook It at that time to track every single exposure that occurred of those MLS logos and then help we had Wasserman actually split those logos in half, right? So the ones that were left versus right sleeve so we could tell the difference and kind of share that story. What it what enabled us to do was basically take information about something that was very theoretical that everyone was trying to sell, but no one could tangibly say they had data on. And then by using the first couple or the first um, couple quarters of the year to track and measure that during the sales cycle where we were able to sell it right for the first time, which was really, really cool. And so sure target is now our jersey sleeve partner and we're really excited about that. And it was um, impactful, but it's one thing to say you sold it. It's another to say you got a strong value for it, or you were able to actually clearly define and explain to them a forecast of what they should expect to receive from a reach and exposure standpoint, right? It's one thing to show demographic data about your fan base and, and where they are throughout the city, you know, things that a lot of us have, but it's another to showcase, well, what is this partnership going to be from a forecast standpoint? And so to be able to do that and then demonstrate it through real data was really a differentiator because it enabled us to be very uh, defensible in the pitch process. So Sure, you had our, you know, EVP of brand and community who had a really, really strong handle on the brand story and why LA was important for Target and the collaboration of our brands together was going to be a perfect marriage because of the way they think and the way they, you know, empower people in general, much like our brand does. But on top of that, you had the data and the science to back it up. So when you go into the sales pitch and you have the full 
narrative and pretty pictures and story about why alignment makes sense, you have something very tangible to back it up so they know that if they're going to spend X amount in New Jersey, then it's it's a investment well spent because they can expect to get very thorough and detailed data, not just in the pitch process, but also throughout the partnership every year, intermittently throughout the year. And so all of that is why we exist, but also why it's so important because it differentiates and sets the bar higher in a super, super crowded market where there's you know 10 plus organizations and teams we're competing with for partnerships and have to stand out. These are the little things that set the bar a little higher and give us a bit of an edge. I think that's an incredible perspective on looking at the process and kind of thinking about it as here's all this data on the front end, but we're going to continually track and measure and go on. I, th- I think a lot of times brands sometimes assume and teams almost assume that once they have the data in the front end, they're pretty much done with it, that it's not a fluid process, right? So is that more or less the philosophy about how you guys kind of approach almost all of your bigger assets? Or are you more tailored and targeted when you're going after a specific brand rather than an asset? Yeah, so we approach it pretty similarly for everyone and every asset, actually, because we're we're measuring and tracking pretty much all of them. But when you look at the, the front of the jersey, for, per se, or stadium naming rights, right? We're doing that same process all year, regardless, um, for all of our partners. So every single partner has a personalized and custom and private Tableau dashboard with all of their reach and exposure for all of their assets, which we go through and basically tie every asset to the exposures that they receive so they can see basically, okay, here are your objectives that you set and share with us at the end of the year. Here are all all the assets and how they tie to those objectives. And then here are all the exposures or impressions you received. And then if you want to click on that number, oh, great, here's every single post. So you can actually see every single exposure yourself. And, you know, if you want to audit it, by all means, right? So we do that for all of our partners. And then on top of that, are obviously walking through that in depth in mid-year, end-year, and sometimes intermittently for specific campaigns or moments that are really important for them. We're basically tagging year-round. Our full team is tagging year-round because it's so important and we know that it really demonstrates results of something that... It's like it's one thing to say why sponsorship could work. It's really tough to say how sponsorship worked. You know, And so mm. early on when I was in Detroit, I learned from you know Jack Birch about having that, that extra piece of how it actually worked you know, no one's really solved for that. And so we're trying to get there, not perfect, but we're trying to get there and strive for that. And so that's really what helps us uh, really continue to make the mark with our partners and uh, show, put our best foot forward and be as defensible as possible in every, every angle in our communication so that we can pitch. And then we also do it on the front end too for uh, other deals, right? Like if, if someone says, here's the 10 things I want in a partnership and we get to a uh, you know, a term sheet or thought starters phase where we're looking at that and then an agency gets involved or even the brand themselves asks, well, what should I expect reach-wise for this? Well, we actually, because we have all this historical data now, we literally do a reach forecast model for them and give it to them with a full pivot of every asset, what they should expect, where it's going to come from, how many exposures, how many impressions, what channels and mediums, all because we have that historical data. So it really empowers us to have a very, really in-depth conversation with any agency you can imagine because frankly, like they couldn't have that data no matter what they did. So the fact that we can provide it to them 
um, unless they're measuring every brand and everything and every exposure in the world, we're able to kind of set ourselves apart in that way. You know, one thing we're always curious about as well, too, is strategy always uh, uncovers uh, undervalued assets, uh, things that, you know, every salesperson always has an asset that they love to put in each one of their pitches. Uh, we feel that it ends up being the same with a lot of our strategy people as well, too. Uh, is there anything that you feel like you wish a lot more prospects or partners would give a closer look at? Is there anything that is undervalued that you think more people should be getting up on? Yeah, definitely. So there's a few assets that if a brand had the true desire or for you know for thought understanding to really know where the value of partnerships and reach and exposure come from in this particular case it's some things that are actually pretty basic but just maybe aren't always negotiated in the deals so for example if you were to look at all the assets to get the most exposure the one that gets the most that isn't the jersey jersey position or a stadium naming rights position right those obvious ones is LE digital signage rotations. Okay, like yes, it's a commodity, it's something that everybody sees on camera, but for us actually it's not about the broadcast. That's not really where it gets most valued picked up. So for us, if you were to look at our different uh, partnerships and look across the board which we do, you can see that actually over 50% of the value from that asset is actually on social because it gets picked up in so many highlights, so many interviews, so many different moments of the match that go on social owned digital earned meaning like when a broadcaster or a network takes a clip from a game and posts it on, a, on an article covered anywhere in the world or you know you and i are at the stadium there's a goal and it's scored and we post right like all of those things capture those moments and so because we sell it in a way that's the right video board corner corners of the two video boards in our stadium, plus the couple ribbons that we have both lower level and upper level. And that's, those are all in sync because that happens that way. There's so many more moments that are picked up. So whether the camera is panning one way or another, there's different moments to get picked up and exposed. And so that's actually our most valuable like commodity asset. And it just, it sounds so basic, but it's really, really powerful. And using the right creative in, that, in those moments is crucial because whether they're focused on the player that's scoring a goal or not, it's subliminally reaching those people. And so all of that really makes a difference. I think you made a really good point there. And I'm, I'm going to hit on this again because I think it's so good is that as much as brands think that the LED is for the in-stadium folks, it's not just the in-person that drives all the value. It's the social media. It's the person, you and I, posting it and our friends seeing it. I think that's where the real value drives. And that's an excellent perspective and uh, a good insight there. Well, one thing we like to do when we end all of our podcasts, Ryan, is we always like to refer to the quote from Charlie Tremendous Jones, which is, you will be the same person you are today five years from now except for the books you read and the people you meet. So with that said, our question is, do you have a book that maybe you've read in the last five years or so that you would recommend for others to read or a piece of advice you would receive from a colleague or a mentor that you think would also be beneficial? I'll let you choose whichever one you want to go with. Yeah, of course. Great question and you know, super important because the learning that you do you know, over time is what enables you to grow in your career. And Sometimes those insights that seem small and fleeting actually can have a really, really big impact on your career. So for me, 
really I'll, I'll start with who I worked with in Detroit, who really got me to Detroit in the first place was our, our president at the time, uh, Dennis Mannion. And one of the things that he was really good at, because I was very young in my career at that point and really just didn't know where, where I was going to go yet. Right. I didn't know I was going to be working in business and data strategy as it is today. And he was helping me kind of figure that out. One of the things that he asked me to do uh, was read the book, do what you are. And that book, which is a good read, but also provides kind of like a test to you in terms of thinking about what your personality, your, basically your needs, your wants, and your talents, and how they intersect. Uh, that part was, you know, super valuable. And so by, by taking and reading that book and also thinking through, it really enabled me to figure out where my skill sets were and how I could contribute in the best way possible based on that and my personality. So you sometimes, as a, especially being you know, young, you, you question what direction you should go in or, or where you can make your best mark, especially even when, once you figure out the organization you want to work for. It's another thing to know how you're going to contribute to that organization because there's so many different departments you can work for, especially for a sports team, right? Because every function is there. And so that was one that really helped me. And you know, I remember thinking back to maybe being two years in and still trying to figure it out. And you know, Dennis drawing on a piece of paper, paper this Venn diagram of you know needs, wants, and talents, and saying, "Look, like you're." You're in your freshman year of your career now, your first decade, you're still figuring out who you are, right? And this will end up being where you, this intersection will end up being what actually happens with your career. But, you know, you have your, your sophomore year to, to work and grind your, your next decade, your junior year after that, and the, your third decade basically to, to lead, and then your fourth to really teach. And so, as you think about your career, know that now you're just experimenting. And so this is one example of a, a book that kind of helps uh, people figure it out if they're still you know, unsure, unclear, or know exactly what department um, or area or skills they want to even develop themselves. So that was really impactful for me and kind of guided my future pursuit over the course of you know the coming seven or eight years up to today. Wonderful. Well, Ryan, we know how busy you are. We appreciate the time. I know I'm always energized every time I talk to you and hear you think about you know, partnership and strategy and, and data. So uh, I think on, on behalf of Will and I, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast today. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's nice to be able to give back, support, help, and really create the future with great leaders and uh, innovators in our, in our industry. So thanks for having me. And that wraps it up for episode two of the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. Hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back in two weeks with the Director of Business Intelligence for FC Cincinnati, Tyler Franz. In the meantime, enjoy some outro music from the band that was named after the unofficial country of the Sports Business Strategy Podcast, St. Lucia. No.